podcast series from Square Mile Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Alex Farlow, Head of Multi-Asset Fund Research here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. In this series of podcasts, we meet members of the investment teams from across the investment management industry, whose funds we rate and spend 15 minutes or so chatting to them to get some insights into their thinking. This week, we're speaking to Shane O'Brien, Head of Multi-Asset and Macro Investment Specialist at Aviva Investors. The Square Mile Analyst team rate the Aviva MathCore range with a recommended rating. This is a range of five low-cost, globally orientated, globally orientated, excuse me, multi-asset funds, which, unlike most low-cost investment solutions, integrate ESG considerations into their investment process. Shane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, it was quite a grand introduction and your title, um, Head of Multi-Asset Macro Investment Specialists. Um, maybe you can start by explaining your role and what a, a normal day looks like for you. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a good place to start. Um, so there's, there's kind of three things to what we do. Um, first and foremost, uh, we are out meeting advisors. Um, we're out talking to advisors as much as we can. And we, we call that the kind of PM proxy element of the role, whereby we allow the portfolio managers and Aviva investors manage the portfolios. We think that's the most important thing they should be doing. And we represent management teams. So we sit very close to the portfolio managers. We know what's going on in, in the funds and we're out representing. So that's kind of the first point. The second thing we do is we, we own all the kind of thought leadership and, and all the collateral that sits behind our funds. So we are heavily involved in the presentation decks, the brochures, the literature, and um, thought leadership, all that kind of stuff. We're obviously heavily supported by a good marketing team and whatnot, but we are, we are responsible for creating that message and keeping it consistent. And then the final bit is product development. So we're continually looking at the market. We're continually looking at our own funds and we're saying, do we have any gaps? Are there any things we can improve? Should we be launching new funds or making adjustments, et cetera? So those kind of three things, the client-facing, marketing material, and then um, product development. Okay. So I guess probably a good place to, to kick off then with, so what, what are um, clients talking to you about? What's their biggest concern at the moment? I mean, there's a lot. It's interesting when you look at uh, the market trends. So we, we assess flows across the whole advisor market and we're continually looking at this to understand, you know, what are people interested in, what are advisors using? And I mean, there's probably three big trends that we're noticing and they're probably not going to be news to, to, to a lot of the listeners. But number one, the trend towards lower cost type solutions um, hasn't subsided. In fact, it's accelerated. Um, so it, it's really clear that those low cost, often passive type solutions are, are one area that, you know, continues to grow. Um, second thing is sustainable investing. So, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this. There's a lot of rhetoric about ESG and responsible investing and all that kind of stuff. But it is starting to be reflected in the flows. So you can see more and more providers taking in flows into sustainable type funds. So that's second trend. And we talk to advisors a lot about that. And the final point is, is probably bespoke type solutions. So what's interesting is you have a lot of consolidation going on in the market, as you'll know, um, a lot of advisors coming together. Um, and, and with that often results in large advisors wanting something bespoke, something kind of white label, something they can call their own. And that means we're building, you know, solutions that are 
kind of tailored to their needs. So they're not, they're not off the shelf. And that's usually in an MPS type form. So I'd say they're the three kind of key trends, still low cost, sustainable, and a lot more on the bespoke side. And I guess just on that, then on the bespoke side of things, um, you know, without giving away too much, what are the, the trends on that side that you're seeing from, from the advisor community? If you had to say there was one or two things when people want a bespoke solution, um, you know, w- what are the key things that they're, that they're looking for? Yeah, I'd say, th- I'd say there's one key thing you can distill it into right now, and that's retirement solutions. So so that that's the big area of focus. That's the one that we're, I guess, speaking most about, and that's where we're spending most of our time. Um, I guess what's been highlighted in recent times and even through uh, consumer duty is that there is an expectation that there is a difference between what you use as a solution in pre-retirement and post-retirement. And I think the regulator is starting to look at this in more detail and advisors are becoming more aware of the fact that there are additional risks in retirement that you don't have in pre-retirement. So what I mean by that is when you're drawing an income from a solution, that creates an additional risk called sequencing risk. And that basically means that the market falls and you encash units at the wrong time. You're unfortunate with timing and you're crystallizing a loss at the very wrong time. That's an additional risk. You also have a risk of longevity. So in retirement, you're suddenly thinking, how long will my pot last? And, and will I have that fund available to, to see me the, all the way through retirement? So, so those two risks um, are additional risks to what you would have in, in pre-retirement. I mean, pre-retirement, you have the usual risks of the ups and downs of markets, inflation, et cetera. But really in retirement, there are additional risks that it introduces. And what that means is we're speaking with advisors who are really interested in this kind of CRP or centralized retirement proposition. And they're kind of saying, well, what should, should we be building something different? And if we do, what should that look like? And how is it different to pre-retirement? So, I mean, there's lots of other things we could talk about, you know, in terms of bespoke. But if there was one key theme or trend in that space, it's definitely in this retirement type portfolios of building something different. And and and, and how does that look then on that um, re- retirement space then? Because obviously in the, in the um, sort of post-retirement, sorry, in the pre-retirement space, um, you have a, a range of different um, risk profiles. What does that look like in 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 the in the post retirement space? Then is that similar, or um, do you assume you have less in there? Well, I mean, to be honest, it's still to be confirmed. There's there's different. It's still very early stages on this. So I think advisors are still trying to figure out whether you know the standard risk profiling still applies. I think that there's obviously still going to be risk profiling. I think there will probably be additions to that because one of the key additional points is that you are generally taking income from your solution in retirement. And that, as I say, introduces another risk. So, I mean, it depends on the advisor we're speaking to. Some will incorporate that into the risk profiling. Um, It can be incorporated into um, cash flow modeling, et cetera. So it definitely does probably result in somewhat of a change from the advisor's perspective. It means there are some additional questions or considerations to take into account. From the investment product perspective, it means that we really need to think about what the client is using the solution for. Because when you're in pre-retirement and you're just trying to grow assets and there's no expectation of redemptions coming from the fund, you kind of know that the investor has the ability to ride the ups and downs over time. And yes, you profile the, the, the fund to best meet the, the kind of tolerance they can have around those ups and downs. But in post-retirement, if you assume that money will be drawn from the fund, you really do need to think a little bit differently about how you build the fund. 
and you need to you need to build those assumptions of withdrawals into how you construct it. And that does result in a bit of a different uh, fund structure and, and asset allocation. And that's where we're spending a lot of time trying to think about that and understand what is the optimal mix of assets uh, that you should come up with to, to solve for that, those additional risks. Okay. Um, you, you also mentioned, um, I guess, sustainable investing. And you guys have your, um, you've got your core, you've got your plus, um, you know, I guess, from my perspective, from an outsider looking in, you know, there's a there's a there's a, a a kind of a missing piece on that sustainable aspect. Is that something as a business you're looking into? Yeah, it is. Um, so, so you're right. So we've got core, we've got plus. So the kind of low cost uh, core option plus being the, the kind of active the active um, version, which is a little bit more expensive, looking to deliver that alpha. Both of those funds have pretty clear ESG integration. I think you you mentioned it at the outset, Alex. So we're, we're very clear as to what we do from an ESG perspective within both funds. Um, but there is only so far those funds, they, they are still by their nature, traditional risk managed, very diversified funds. So they have very clear ESG integration, but it will be a stretch to say they are dark green sustainable funds, that they're not. So that does leave a gap for us. And, and that gap is, as we see it, having a dark green sustainable multi-asset fund. Uh, we have been working on that in the background for some time. All going well, subject to uh, FCA approval. We will have a new fund launching, uh, targeting the end of August, early September. That will be called MAF uh, Sustainable Stewardship. So it's leveraging some of the stewardship building blocks we've had in place for a long time in Aviva Investors. Um, and it's combining those with, with a few different asset classes and coming up with, with still a diversified fund, but certainly more focused on the sustainable outcome and also tying in with those new SDR regulations that, that we're soon going to have. So, so all going well, that will, um, that will achieve the sustainable focus label. So it'll be in that kind of dark green category and complement MAF Core, MAF Plus, and then MAF Sustainable Stewardship. Okay. That's, I mean, that's that's very in keeping with, um, I mean, I think all of your observations in terms of low cost, sustainable, probably not the bespoke side from, from our perspective, are very much in keeping with, with what we're seeing. And any new launches or most of the new launches into the multi-asset space tend to be ranges of, of risk managed funds. Um, so, so that's incredibly consistent. Maybe we can just pick up on, um, you know, talk a little bit about um, what the, the multi-asset team's views are at the moment in terms of, you know, how they're positioned um, and what they see um, over the next sort of 12 months or at least to, to the end of the year now um, in terms of how they expect things to pan out. Um, obviously, we won't hold you to this, um, <laughs> but, but just interested in the team's views, really. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess the first thing to say, we, we talked about the fund ranges a second ago. So within MathCore, we're not really taking those kind of short term tactical calls. So it's a bit more kind of set the strategic al allocation and, and allow the fund do its thing. But within Math Plus, where we do have discretion and we do take calls, we do move the asset allocation around. And that's where you see our, our views really being reflected. Um, in terms of what we think, we're, we're probably slightly more optimistic today than a lot of the newspaper headlines would suggest and, and all of the, the rhetoric that we hear um, in markets. So what that means is we're slightly, we, we've actually been adding a bit to equities and we've actually been adding a bit to bonds at the same time. And I guess what's interesting about that and the reason behind that is we think that the relationship between equities and bonds 
which over the past decade plus had been kind of predominantly negatively correlated, meaning that when your equities fall, your bonds help support the portfolio. That that relationship had broken down. And as we know, last year, it was a really difficult year for multi-asset funds because you had a period where both equities suffered and bonds suffered at the same time. So you had a positive correlation between the two asset classes. We think that that negative correlation is going to be reestablished and we're already seeing that this year. When you have that relationship being reestablished, it's really beneficial to multi-asset funds. And what we think it enables you to do is take on a little bit more risk in the portfolio at a time that's preferable. And, and we, we think now's a, a time to add a little bit of risk. We're not going excessively into risk, but we are adding a bit. And But you can complement that by adding a bit of duration because we do think it's offering that bit of protection, which it hadn't done up until recently. And I guess the real reason why we think bonds are a bit more attractive now is we do think we're ending or, or approaching the end of a hiking cycle. We know there's still talk in the market about whether it'll be one or two more rate hikes, depending on the region. But either way, we're still talking about towards the end of the cycle. Will it be one? Will it be two? It might even be three in the, in the case of the UK. Who knows? But it's still we're still now approaching the top. And, and that gives a bit more comfort, particularly at the longer end of the of the yield curve, we we think you can actually add a bit of duration, and 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 that should offer a bit of protection because ultimately, if you do see a, a significant slowdown in the economy, which, which may happen, there's fewer things in a multi-asset portfolio that can be uh, more resilient than government bonds. Generally speaking, in a recessionary environment, central banks will be quick to put the brakes on rate hikes or maybe even go into reverse. And as we know, that helps uh, bond valuation. So they're a very useful tool to have in portfolios. So so I guess what I'm saying is we're still a little bit cautious about the outlook, but we actually think that relationship between bond and equity being reestablished as being negative enables us to add a bit more risk and also add a bit more duration. And you mentioned about um, rate hikes and being towards the end of the cycle, but in terms of inflation then, there's, there's um, assuming... You're expecting that to come down, but is that going to come down to sort of levels that we've been used to, or, or do you think it's going to remain uh, stubbornly higher? I think it's going to remain stubbornly higher for at least in the, in the near term. I mean, the, the challenge really is around core inflation. The headline inflation, which includes food prices and energy, is coming down, thankfully. Um, but but really, the conversation's moved on from that. Uh, the, the conversation really is now around the core part and the, the, the services sector and whatnot. And unfortunately, that is remaining stickier than we expect, particularly in the UK, uh, which which has resulted in in guilt, uh, guilt yields uh, going a bit higher in recent weeks. Um, so, so I think, I mean, we have been pretty consistent um, as of late last year. We talked about in Aviv Investors about inflation remaining sticky and, and potentially getting stuck on the way down. We do still think uh, that's the case. We think it's going to take longer to get back to normal. However, we do believe that we are you know, approaching or beyond the point of peak inflation. So we do see a cycle now where it starts to decline. We're not saying it's going to return to normal levels in the next you know, even six to 12 months. It will probably take a bit longer, but it is coming down. And for that reason, if you do see inflation coming down, it puts less pressure on central banks to hike rates. If you also see weakening economic conditions, and we think that could well be the case coming into the latter part of the year, we could see economy slowing down a bit, then that's the type of environment where central banks are, are under a bit of pressure to, uh, to leave rates high. 
and and actually you could start to see rates come back down. So so in both cases, both from an economic growth perspective and also um, an inflation perspective, we think there's a case to be made that bonds have a have a good solid place in a multi asset portfolio today. Okay, and I guess just before we sign off, um, given you know you 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 sit closely with the, the the portfolio managers and the investment team, but also very close to your clients. Any interesting stats you've come across recently that you want to leave us with? I think the most fascinating stat that I've heard in recent weeks, it's good timing for this one, actually, because if you had have asked me a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't have had a great one. But I think, I think, I think it's fascinating what's happened with NVIDIA. Um, so this is the chip maker, which is, is a mega tech company. And in the space of one day, NVIDIA last week went up 25% in one day. Now, that was the equivalent of adding $100 billion in market cap. To put that into perspective, that's bigger than British Petroleum, BP. So in one day, they added a market cap bigger than BP, which I think is just mind-blowing um, to think about how you know, quickly these mega tech companies can grow, what the market expectations look like. And I, I think that's, a, that, that's an incredible it's, it's the It's the largest ever one-day gain for a, for a large cap company. And to put into perspective the fact that they gained more than BP in one day, um, yeah, I haven't come across a, a more fascinating stat than that so far this year so um yeah i think we might leave it with that one that is um a pretty extraordinary stat shane o'brien head of multi-asset and investment specialist and macro investment specialists at aviva investors thank you very much for your time thanks for listening This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Squaremore Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremore makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremore at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.